Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Target in sight. Where in hell is Major Kong? Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and uh, we have a, a, a packed metaphorical studio as we're all thousands of miles away from one another uh, today with Francis from Hell of a Way to Die and hey. Shocks, our, uh, our, our local podcasting attorney. I still didn't call me anyway. <laughs> podcasting at law. Yeah, oh, Jesus. Yeah. We were joking about podcast lawyering in the in the lawyer chat a few days ago, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm really just spending time on both of your podcasts until I start my own uh, with uh, my intern Alan Dershowitz. Um, <laughs> oh God, he's, uh, he's assured me that he's uh, he has a very particular expertise, a certain set of skills, if you will. I'm really happy <laughs> that someone's finally going to do a week weekly podcast on consent age laws. Oh no, his his podcast is supposed to be daily. What? Yeah. So- a daily, the daily dirsh. That is Ugh. some. That is some fucking manic energy right there. That is a man who needs to tell everybody that he's very innocent. Saying something's a daily dirsh is what it like. I feel like it's when pus comes out of you somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's like a sign. Like anyone who says that they want to start a daily podcast should immediately just be like, just immediately shunted to some sort of like mental health treatment. <laughs> Like Even other like, podcasters are like that is too much. Yeah, like, like that's we, like a very clear cry for help. Like we're I, the like, skim of the earth, but we will not hang out with you. <laughs> like I get it. You know, it's it's COVID. We're all in quarantine. Everybody, you know, the Obamas got a podcast. The the Buttigieg's got a podcast. Every, everybody got a podcast. And now and now the other side is doing it too. And now we've got the Dersh, uh, the Dersh, the Daily Dersh, the Daily Douche, is what I'm just going to start calling it now. No, I shouldn't call it that because uh, a, a douche is a feminine hygiene product and gets things clean. And I don't think that anything will be happening clean on the Dirsch podcast. It's sad oh. that Epstein was taken from us before we could get an Epstein podcast. Right? Epstein, like, live from a... We need to, like, sneak, like, a uh, a cell phone into the floor live of from Supermax. And, like, you know, get like, uh, <laughs> get, like, the Unabomber. Like, you know... So I suppose if there's a medium that the Unabomber would not be attuned to, it would probably be podcasting. <laughs> you know, it's really sad because uh, there was a very strange podcast called Ear Hustle uh, that the California Department of Corrections made in conjunction with their inmates. Um, and mm. uh, the the Unabomber is in, in, in federal prison, so that can't happen. But I feel like, you know, I'm going to start a change.org petition to get Ted Kaczynski a podcast. Is it not... <laughs> Isn't Manson still in, like, California State Pen? Oh, oh, he died. Oh, yeah, that's right, he did. Fuck. Yeah, he died from being a miserable old fuck. Yeah, no, I was, I've was. i been watching Mindhunters, so, like, 
it, 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 I forget, you know, like my sense of like time, space, and realities become so totally like melted that I can't even fucking figure that out anymore. Yeah, but Speaking yeah, you're right. Speaking of melting, you oh, know it melts oh. things. Oh, I did it. I fucking did it because we're talking about nukes today, son. You're like, how uh, many, like, 100 and like 50 episodes in, and you just did like a really solid segue? You're fucking learning. I know. It only took 123 hours of podcasting. I got this. Actually, no I, think st- this is, I think this is like 100, 124 now. I'm not there's sure. A, I'm a hacking no a fraud. This boy now. He's fucking, no. he's all over it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely. I'm going to uh, hustle in on the Buttigieg cast and uh, with with room temperature takes like my intro, like my segue there. Um, <laughs> but you so, know, it's not room temperature. A, a nuclear explosion, which actually, thankfully, we are not going to be talking about a nuclear explosion today or this podcast would be much darker and South Carolina would be much more green uh, of the neon variety because um, we're, we're talking about broken arrows. Uh, if I when I say broken era, what jumps into your mind? I know immediately you're going to say that horrible Christian Slater movie, uh, that fantastic Christian Slater vehicle. Um, uh, you're, you're leaving out the, the the heavyweight John Travolta, I believe. I, That's all I remember is John Travolta yelling "Broken Arrow" very calmly but very firmly into a uh, into a, te- a military style telephone. Literally, the only thing that I remember about that movie. I'll, it's just I'll be what on- John Travolta calls phone sex. I'll be honest with you. Like, if I don't think about it very clearly, Broken Arrow and Face Off are the same movie in my head. And, I'm, and okay. I, don't, I don't have any I solid reason God to explain I'm not alone that. on that. Yeah, I, I think it's just because they both came out around the same time and were both like, you know, both involved John Travolta. And so both of them are just like the same movie in my head. I... Uh, uh, I originally wrote this script and I made a Nicolas Cage joke and I had to go back and change it because I realized they weren't the same fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and that's the problem. You take these war movies because for a minute I thought it was uh, Mel. I was seeing Mel Gibson say Broken Arrow, which maybe he did. That's We, we Were Soldiers, Soldiers, baby. Yep. Yeah. And so, and that's the thing. Like, as soon as you have, like, you, you put on a, a dude that's kind of uh, old but still kind of beefy. Uh, into OD greens and a helmet, uh, they all become the same person to me. So, like you know, John Travolta, um, Mel Gibson, Christian Slater. Uh, you know, I don't know who is in uh, that movie, The Thin Red Line. That's got a lot of people in it. A lot of people, right? Yeah. You look at it, it's just like I don't. I know who all of these people are, but I cannot tell who they are. In this in this movie, also That's that actually, movie sucks ass. It's it's not great. Uh, thanks to Nick, we'll be watching it for a fucking bonus episode. Oh but, you Jesus! Know, it, I tried to it, watch that recently, not recently, but like a year ago. It's and like, like three and a half hours long. Well, I'm like, God, it's I, like I was trying like, to watch the Deer Hunter. It got panned at the time, and I was like, you know, maybe maybe I just didn't appreciate it for what it was. And then I like got like an hour into it, I'm like, no, super no. Like yeah, I, you can I just, tell uh, all of these people in OD Green apart because John Travolta is the one that killed his son via a cult, and uh, Mel Gibson is the one screaming anti-Semitic slurs. We got a fucking rogues gallery of good people on, on this podcast that we're referencing. Who else did we just talk about who's fucking terrible besides everything in the intro? Oh, uh, now I'm I was just thinking really- of Mel Gibson and signs like yelling slurs at the aliens. <laughs> That's actually how they got them to leave. They weren't allergic to water. They just were like, you know, he's really bringing the, like, he's making us very uncomfortable. Uh, He called my wife sugar tits, and we're not even sure what those are because we're aliens and we have to leave. You know, 
it never really connected until now. The fact that like Tom Cruise is both like a huge Scientologist and was also in War of the Worlds. And you have to wonder <laughs> if there was like some like deeper significance to him, like, you know, while he was watching like, you know, like watching himself in a movie where like aliens are taking over the world. Like, did you think he was fighting Xenu? He just thought it was a uh, documentary. Only- only if, if instead of the tripods, they were like a Boeing 747, which I think is like what Xenu flies to Earth in or something. As long as you get your pilot license, you have to Xenu responsibly. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, someone brought up We Were Soldiers already, but that was uh, a different term that is no longer in popular use, uh, which is like you have to call in um, air support, like all available right. air support to a unit that's cut off. But yeah, we're talking it's just about like, uh, just bomb the shit out of everything around me because it's all fucked. Yeah, they just. It turns out that was just the uh, uh, the overall strategic goal in Vietnam, and it worked out great. Um, <laughs> and Vietnam, now, and you know, and uh, you know, as a uh, a portent of things to come, Cambodia and Laos, and you know, just you know, most of Southeast Asia, it's fine. Yeah, thankfully, nothing bad happened there. Pole who? Anyway. Um, <laughs> We're talking about nuclear broken arrows more specifically, uh, or all those fun times the militaries of the world accidentally lost a nuclear weapon, uh, which I assume this is like one, maybe three, four, five times. Fellas, I got some bad news. We, we have lost a lot of nukes. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I, all I think of, you know, we, we've all been in the military um, we know that things get misplaced all the time. And the amount of, like, I just think of the amount of nukes that, like, America was making and the Soviet Union was making, like, back during the Cold War when it was just like, ah, when it's like assembly line nukes. And it's just like, do we really have serial numbers and hand receipts on all of those? Like, are we really going to kid ourselves? Or is it going to be one of these days, like, a, just like an underground explosion is going to happen in South Dakota? And they're just like, ah, shit, that's right. I left a nuke there. There's there's an old Minuteman one there. Totally forgot about it. My bad, guys. My bad. Well, it's like you you know even in general too. Like you got to figure like what happens if you know maybe like all the nukes are fine, but you know maybe there's like a Friday nuke before like a 72 hour like holiday weekend. Like is that really is it really going to be up to snuff? Like you know maybe it's you know like leaking a little bit. Maybe not all the screws are like <laughs> it, torqued down quite all the way. You know, guys, I got some bad news because you are much more you're you're much closer to how a lot of this happens than you probably know, um, <laughs> because <laughs> for a lot of oh, reasons. Fuck. <laughs> uh, now there is some play with this definition of uh, broken arrow as some people use it to expand to cover everything that be considered a military nuclear accident. Um, and like, but the U.S. government more specifically calls them nuclear accidents that do not risk nuclear war, which seems to be really dancing around the issue at hand here. Um, <laughs> we, need to, we, we need to specify our nuclear explosions. Are they the war ones or the oops ones? Yeah, we have this so often. Uh, we had to change the definition to make us not look so bad. Well, um, and it also makes you think that, you know, just practically, if, you know, we're only gradually learning about all the ones that are of what I imagine would be a slightly lesser category of ones that almost didn't cause a war. You have to wonder about all the ones that are probably still classified that are under the category of, yeah, well, you know, then there was the time that we were overflying the Soviet Union and we accidentally just like, you know, let a nuke fly. Uh, That happened more than once. (laughs) 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 But we'll get there. 
Uh, now, as all of us know, there's there's a really big problem when it comes with nuclear weapons, other than you know their horrible doomsday weapons that should never have been brought into this world. And that is they are, by definition, weapons that the military uses. This has an unfortunate side effect of some of the most destructive weapons on Earth ever that have ever been created being left in the hands of, well, people in the military. <laughs> <laughs> At least so far, ISIS hasn't stolen one and paraded around with flat tires or something like they do with our Humvees all the time. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, uh, it's it's not from a. They did manage to loot a fuckload of uh, of biolog or sorry, chemical weapons. No biological weapons that we're aware of. Um, that, now, that we are that you and I are aware of. Yeah, that's, that's what right. COVID is. That's no, that's my new thing now. Oh god damn it! Coron- <laughs> coronavirus, coronavirus was released by ISIS. Oh, I'm yeah, just stolen this, chemical weapons. I'm just having this image of just like ISIS, like phone technicians, like infiltrating Verizon to install 5G towers. <laughs> <laughs> you like look up and there's like a like attached to like the attached to the telephone pole outside your house. There's just a black ISIS flag. Like, ah, oh, well, fuck. you know, it's it's an AT and T commercial. It's like, did you know the Caliphate has the world's most encompassing <laughs> network? <laughs> Welcome to Caliphate Wireless. It's I just the sheets start playing in the background. A wireless company that only gives you old Nokia brick phones. <laughs> They'll last forever, and man, they're a blast. Oh, oh god damn it. Fuck. Yeah, the ISIS 5G towers are fine until they start doing the call to prayer at five in the morning every day. <laughs> it's weird. As soon as they install the 5G tower, suddenly the uh the tint in my entire neighborhood went like vaguely like yellow brownish and you know like, <laughs> started hearing the call to prayer every day i don't know it's i'll weird. become a martyr for these prices uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh now everyone in this show uh especially the 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 the, the current gathering is hypercritical of the military that's because at one point <laughs> or another we've all been in it um and we were all enlisted uh so and most of the people who have been on this show were enlisted in one military or another at some point. I don't think I've ever had an officer on the show uh, because my own producer will not come on the show. <laughs> now, I mean, now, he I just think- sends me. He's just, he's just like, nah, I got. what do you think I have a staff sergeant for? Get over there. <laughs> Go do the bitch work and also make the coffee. Uh, just like think of how many people over the years that we've all worked with like you, whenever you go to like the range or you do something that could be construed as dangerous, everybody just looks very carefully at them. Like they have like bricks for hands. They can't shoot. Like they give you that creepy school shooter vibe. Like we've all at any point of our careers worked with at least 10 of those people in any given unit. <laughs> mm, now switch out the fact that they no longer have an M4 or an M16 if your unit doesn't love you. And now they're responsible for the proper transporting, storing, and ma- maintenance of a nuclear weapon. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna like. I don't want to dog um, any of the professions that I'm about to to mention. But for a little bit, I worked uh, alongside some uh, electricians and IBEW. You know, uh, Union Strong, uh, Union Strong boys. But one of them was like he was a little older. Uh, he he'd been in the Navy and he was a nuke tech and. Like, I'm not, I'm, you know, again, not trying to be insulting, but he wasn't that smart. 
um, just in general. <laughs> like he was very good at what he did. He was a very nice person. He was really cool to hang out with. But you know, he's a he's like of average intelligence. You know, and he liked to drink. And he was in the. I mean, he was in the navy. So of course he, you know, in the navy in your twenties, he was, you know, a little bit insane, like all of them are, like all of us were. Yeah. So. So yeah, just I I've met one nuke tech and uh he's he was a guy who was like, I don't think you should have been in charge of those. It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um <laughs> and like more more specifically like uh, what most of the failures for all these broken arrows on the US side as the Soviet Union will get their turn uh is the failure of the of the planes that the the nukes are on because this is before ICBMs. Um and uh, I know I've known several people who worked as like maintainers on fighter jets or other planes and yikes folks. And this is like in the two thousands <laughs> where like you legitimately do have to score higher. Uh, that, you know, right now we're talking about the late 1940s when you could feasibly stumble over your dick into the military and be functionally illiterate. Um, like, well, and like also the- like, as I remember too, you know, in that interwar period in between uh, world war two and Korea, I mean, they, you know, like pretty much a lot of the folks with like with a half a brain got out at that point, like got demobilized in like 46 and 47. I mean, that's like part of the reason the first part of the Korean War was like such a solid clusterfuck because they just had like a bunch of dudes who just kind of like decided to just hang out in the ranks. And then so, they got and then they did conscription, too, didn't they? Like conscription yeah. was still happening. So you got you went to a whole new war in a whole new place that you didn't understand. It was a completely different kind of asymmetrical war. And all you're left with are like the people who decided the real world was um, was just they didn't want to deal with it, so they stayed in the army, or or the uh, and and the conscripts, which is you know I, that's that's yeah, or like all, or all the dudes who were so like such tapped like World War II veterans that they like you know they couldn't like exist anywhere else. Right. That was, that was my dad's drill sergeant when he was he was I think when he joined the Marines it was like fifty eight fifty nine. And uh, his drill sergeant was like a former like Pacific theater Marine combat vet from World War Two. And so as you can imagine, dude was just fucking out to lunch, like with just like rabbit punch, like the various different recruits. And like, I think actually got uh, removed from being their D.I. like halfway through like their like boot company because he was just like such a violent shithead that they actually couldn't like keep him around anybody anymore. Imagine like you're, a, a, I don't know, like a specialist sergeant or whatever, like uh, November 1945 and uh, everybody's getting, getting demobbed and you re-enlist. Everybody's like, really, dude, you're re-enlisting? And you're like, what are the odds that happens again? <laughs> <laughs> and then like you do like a six-year contract, so you get stop loss in 51 and you're like, oh, I played myself. <laughs> I did not read a history book as it turned out. <laughs> So, um, yeah, like I, like I kind of pointed out, uh, most of the problems that are going to come up are, are with the maintenance of, and, and piloting of these planes. Uh, but remember, when we first started drop, dropping these giant bastards in 1945, uh, when being a pilot in the U.S. Army Air Force, later to be the U.S. Air Force, wasn't really that difficult. Um, not like today or even a decade or two decades ago, um, you could just become a pilot like you didn't require any kind of extensive education a couple hundred hours behind the sticks and you were good to go (laughs) well Um, those planes you know the f-35 is a complicated piece of machinery planes back then you know you turn it left you turn it right the the rudders the flaps 
I've look, I've flown Microsoft uh, Simulator. Uh, You're overqualified so, then. So, so I'm good. I, like I can I can fly a Cessna through the arch without running into the sides nine times out of ten. So I'm pretty sure I could have done uh, some some bombing over Dresden. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, you know, I played the original Microsoft Flight Simulator, and I was able to fly a, you know, seven thirty seven right through the twin towers. God damn it! Hmm. <laughs> you beat me to it. I have to. Admit, <laughs> I was, I was going to say I was playing Microsoft Flight Simulator, and I flew to New York City once, um, just once, <laughs> just, and, a, uh, just one, just one, just time. one ping, one ping, Vasily. Um, but yeah, like flying these things wasn't overly complicated and, uh, like, yeah, like Francis pointed out, like there wasn't a whole lot going on in that cockpit. Uh, so like, you know, sure. Um, I bring that up now because as everybody's probably well aware, our entire nuclear arsenal is not, uh, air based anymore. It, I mean, they're, they can be, but they're mostly ICBMs or, uh, you know, vehicle or nuclear vehicles that can be fired from a submarine thousands of miles away uh and and so far away that you can comfortably end the world without leaving your desk Uh, the days of the enola gay slowly puttering over some city and evaporating its population by dropping a bomb are long gone but that was not always the case as soon as world war ii ended the cold war started because that's what happens when the world becomes populated by super uh, powers and they're going to do superpower stuff and by that mean destroy the lives of everybody around them to further their political or economic goals um, now for a few years the u.s enjoyed nuclear supremacy but that wouldn't last long In 1945 a soviet spiring and the u.s had obtained the blueprints for the u.s's early nuclear weapons uh, in fact they had pretty much infiltrated the manhattan project pretty goddamn well over the years, almost from the beginning and in almost every department, uh, because that's going to happen. But that's some good offset guys. (laughs) Way to go. Um, Yeah. And I mean, most of the spies, they're like, oh, yeah, we kept it all the Russians. Yeah. Well, most of them were Americans. (laughs) I mean, you know, and and I think the only thing that we can all say about that is comrades, good work. We did it. it. Um, You know, all the more for the glory of the Soviet Union and our Glorious leader, the, Joseph Stalin. The communists were simply saying, this is information that belongs to the people, and so they liberated it. We have this to the redistribute bu- the nuclear weapons to everybody. <laughs> exactly. You have too many. Give a few to Libya. I'm sure it's... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us, Hillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> oh, fuck. We, uh, we oh, just sorry, she it. meant giving them to Libya in a different way. My All I'm saying is... Joe Kasabian has information that could lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. That's all. I'm uh, not. Guys, I'm feeling very depressed, and I have to go shoot myself six times in the back of the head. Yeah, they uh, call that they call that the Stalin special. <laughs> uh, but you know, they all. Uh, to be fair, this everybody says the Soviets stole all of their designs from us. That isn't true. They also had their own great science projects, uh, as well as brilliant <laughs> local talent. They um, had their own Operation Paperclip. Yes, they did. Um, they, <laughs> and you get a Nazi scientist, and you get a Nazi scientist, and you get a Nazi scientist. Uh, their main problem was actually just getting their hands on uranium, as the U.S. had quite literally cornered the market uh, on the mines in the Belgian Congo. And if you aren't aware of the history of what's going on there, yikes. Um, and <laughs> it's all fine. Uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, the fact yeah. that the name is, is the Belgian Congo should ring a few bells. <laughs> Any Congolese people that disagree with renaming your country the Belgian Congo, raise a hand. Oh, wait, you can't. 
Uh, we made sure oh, you could not. Oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> uh, it, the, the Belgians made sure that no, like nobody else would get any of the uranium coming out of that mine. And uh, by 1949, it didn't really matter. The Soviets had detonated a plutonium bomb on the RDS-1, and it was pretty much identical to the U.S. Fat Man bomb, which had been dropped in Nagasaki. The reason for that is uh, the soon-to-be-executed Soviet spies, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, quite possibly though it is still debated, had passed along perfect and uninterrupted designs from Los Alamos to the Soviets. Now, I should point out what is debated is not that the Rosenbergs were spies. It's if they actually managed to do this or if the U.S. is looking to blame someone. They were spies. There's, there's absolute evidence to, to prove that. I guess what is in question if they were good spies or not? Um, I don't know. Um, do, you, do you remember a couple of years ago when like a Russian spy was caught? But they were like he was. He just was living his their. They whoever it was was just living their life in America for twenty years and passing on like information anybody could have looked up on the internet because they were just such a terrible spy. Oh yeah, and America's <laughs> just like America's just like we caught you, but you really haven't actually done anything. So go home, I guess. That guy's think, my spirit animal. I think they were. Uh, I think one of them was in Cambridge, and like and like the whole thing was that they were like they were almost like Manchurian candidate. Like they were you know supposed to like. There was a whole spiring. They're supposed to go off and like reach the upper upper echelons of American society, but then they all just kind of didn't. Wait, is that why you're podcasting from an undisclosed like location near Edward Snowden? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't actually Carrie Shocks. This is just a number station we dialed into. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many NSA installations around me on Oahu, I cannot be making that joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whose door is getting kicked in first is a real question yeah uh i have no weapons here but i'm sure they'll find at least six on my body uh (laughs) anyway uh after the soviets got their hands on a nuke uh, and like they they did like their u.s counterparts and began refining and evolving those nukes into more easily uh, deliverable weapons via long-range bomber because like the two bombs that were dropped required very specially uh like outfitted planes and like the, 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 how much they weighed damn near drop the goddamn things out of the air. Uh, it, it was a whole thing. Uh, but eventually long range bombers that could actually carry these heavy ass weapons were built. And that's when the U S had the B 36 and the Soviets with the TU 95. They both came out in the late 1940s and early fifties. And for the first time dropping a nuke on a country would be much, much easier than ever before. You know, this progress, be- there's no stopping it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully by, uh, yeah, yeah, 2026, 20, uh, all or half of all nukes will be delivered by women of color. It'll be great. Um, th- yes. this began, <laughs> yes, queen, yes, yes. <laughs> this, this began, uh, the idea of mutually assured destruction that would not be called that for quite some time. Uh, for people who are not aware, it's a strategy of, we know we can't stop our first attack, but our defenses. If we can still nuke you anyway, and we know that you can also nuke us, so therefore neither of us can go to war because we'll just end the world in a flash of nuclear hellfire. Uh, it's not great stuff. <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> a strategy like a, a built world, by very normal people. That's a world-stretching understatement right there. It's not, you know, it's the best thing that Mutually we can come up with. destruction, not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turns out, not the best. <laughs> it's that shrugging emoji next to it mutually assured just means sharing yeah it, i mean if that's why the we'll Soviet Union embraced it so well. yeah 
we've had enough of uranium. How about Arranium? Because remember this, like we said this before, ICBM. So people had to think of a way to always be ready to set nukes on planes on their way. Well, beginning in 1955, the U.S. Strategic Air Command, also known as SAC, uh, (laughs) (laughs) because we're all mature people, uh, came up with a plan. And that was to keep bombers loaded with nukes on alert at all times and ready to go within 15 minutes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, we have done away with that and we just always have bombers with nukes on them ready to go in the air currently, don't we? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, we, cool. we don't and for a very good reason. Um, <laughs> that began to beg a question. What if too many of these planes on the ground were destroyed before they got uh, before they could lift off, uh, what happens if there's some kind of breakdown in the chain of command and they weren't told because Washington was nuked? Uh, but they're, they're like, we need something better than this. Enter the Airborne Alert Program. The alert program went by several different operational names like Head Start, Round Robin, and Chrome Dome, uh, but they're all pretty much the same. Um, they're, they're all functionally not much different. Uh, the airborne alert program would change the backbone of the plant from being planes ready to go to planes already in the air all the time, 24 hours a day, year round. Perfect. This is going to bring some problems. Um, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Curtis LeMay who like was initially at the helm of like Strategic Air Command? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this like, is I believe this is one of his ideas. Did, like, talk about like an exceedingly like fucking normal human being. <laughs> Like he was also just like a fucking absolute lunatic, wasn't he? Like, they, wasn't he one of the ones who was essentially like, yeah, no, if uh, if we had lost the war, I would have absolutely been tried for war crimes because I definitely did some light war crimes. Yeah, he was one of the people who kind of openly admitted like this is a victor's court, but I'm also okay with it. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. Um, I mean, we didn't commit any genocides. But we did have concentration camps, and we probably would have been prosecuted for it, like the Tokyo tribunals overseen by the emperor or whatever. Um, I mean, but, sounds sick. Know, Let's hear it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but th- this meant that planes would always be up in the air, armed with nuclear weapons. They would be flying over various different countries in Europe, just outside Soviet airspace. And none of these European nations, besides maybe the UK, had any idea that these planes were nu- armed with nuclear weapons. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, now it's our some, business. Don't worry about it. My, mind your own business. <laughs> a lot of this is over, the, over North America as well, but a lot of this is over like Greenland and uh, Spain and, and nations like that. Yeah, they did not know. Uh, I mean, in fairness, if we'd nuke Spain in like the 60s, I mean, you know, I mean, as long as it fell in like, Franco's house. Again, you're much closer to what you to the story <laughs> than you think you are, uh, and and you're going to find this hilarious. Um, oh, amazing! All right, let's go for it. Because that that kind of happens on accident, but the nuke does not go off. But uh, so this became common knowledge: the fact that all of these weird jets have nukes on board on accident, which we'll get to. Now, if this sounds nuts, having planes all the time up in the air, armed with world-ending bombs, uh, is is nuts. It's because it is. But the, the U.S. military isn't crazy, right? Right? Well, uh, technically only kind of. The pilots wouldn't be staying up in the air for 24 hours. Don't be ridiculous. It'd only be 20 hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, and I need to remind you that this is the 1950s through 60s. 
So this is fully 100% in the feed pilots amphetamines in order to keep them awake and fly endlessly territory. Something that continues to a much lesser extent to this day. Uh, we made a whole episode about it. Uh, we accidentally bombed Canadians because we had National Guard pilots that are out of their mind on meth. But uh, Oh yeah, in, Af- in Afghanistan, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, but uh, on the this is all nuclear flights. Stressing the limits of human endurance while armed with the most destructive weapons known to man, all be piloted by dudes who are ripped to the gills on speed. Honestly, this uh, is the future that our this is what our race deserves. Just like as the human race, like this is what we deserve is like a thing. This is like modernity embrace tradition. This is like if you like you and your buddies are leaving the bowling alley and you've got that one friend who's like, yeah, I'm drunk, but I drive better when I'm drunk. But now let him drive a nuke. I'm drunk, but I drink a Red Bull with my vodka. So I'm good. (laughs) I'm just thinking about like Chris Farley, like fucking speedballing in the early 90s and just like shoving him in the like in the front of like a B-52 and just saying, yeah, go for it, man. Just fucking, what's the Chris Farley, his arm hanging out the window with a needle still hanging from it, piloting a nuke over Denmark. What could go Holy wrong? Shit. Okay, okay, but first off, <laughs> if we also get David Spade to be his co-pilot, that's a movie. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Fuck yeah, it is. I mean, that's yeah, a movie that-, that Black Sheep should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, I gotta get you on the right track as Greenland <laughs> just goes up in a fucking mushroom cloud. <laughs> Just like riding the bomb all the way down to the Soviet Union, just screaming like living in a van down by the river. <laughs> uh, now, there's a small problem with all this. This round-the-clock mission called for at least 12 planes to be in there at all times, circling, waiting for the order to end the world, which would come to them via teletype or radio within the within the plane. Uh, now, regardless of what happened on the ground, re- uh, like regarding their oncoming relief, 12 planes had to be up in the air. That means if like a flight was grounded due to maintenance problems, which was very common, the other flights would have to stay up even longer as a replacement could be found and got ready. This was not uncommon, so these poor bastards would have to be in the air for days at a time, uh, and it, they would also have to refuel in flight, which is incredibly hard and very dangerous to do when you're not incredibly tired and full, filled full of fucking, I don't know, trucker speed. <laughs> If you're thinking, wow, a podcast, man, that sounds like a recipe for disaster, you'd be 100% correct. The U.S. admits to a broken arrow of some kind or another 32 different times. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now, like we've pointed out, those We're are just a- the ones we know about. This is like, if you look at parallel universes and you're like, the only ones you see, like all all the par- everything that runs parallel to our reality is like, the different ways that like humanity destroys ourselves, we're in that one, that one narrow key. So far, in that one narrow little key, where it's just like they dropped a bomb, and like you know, you roll the you roll the hundred side of die die, and it comes up one hundred. You're like, whew, good thing that good thing that just keeps happening for us, I guess. It turns out somehow we still well, lost. Boys, I reckon this is it. Nuclear combat, toe to toe with the Ruskies. <laughs> yeah, I found a strange love sta- soundboard, so you know we're gonna have that happening. Amazing. Uh, now I should point out that the broken arrows have not stopped that happening. Um, not that long ago, during a quote-unquote training mission, a whole bunch of live nukes got loaded on a plane and transported across the United States without anybody knowing. Um, this is technically a broken arrow because they were lost for hours. 
Like uh, somebody accident, like they were just there and somebody like picked up the, the, the paperwork, the clipboard off of one and then set it down on the other. And then like the tech sergeant comes in and was like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll have to load these funny looking bombs on here. And like, like how does lo- this happen? I it was a complete and utter Air Force related fuck up. And most of the time, like what for like nukes can be transported, uh, like not armed, which happens a lot, probably more often than people think. Like they remove the fissile cores, and they more, can more safely be transported. There's I always mean, some risk. And, and um, in my mind, that's the way that they should always be transported. Um, these ones were armed uh, when they left cool. the Dakotas. Yeah. Sick. All um, right. I'm not I'm exactly just, sure of all the details for it, but the, the technically a broken hero happened like five years ago. That is, and, <laughs> and this is this is just incredibly telling of like not only how stupid the American military is, like just with somebody accidentally loaded the wrong bombs on, but that like armed live nukes were just sitting out with not even like a sign that says, "Hey, don't load these yet." We need to disarm them as they are armed alive nuclear bombs. And like, like the, 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 fa- the cascading failure is also like that parallel universe. Like in a normal place, in a normal universe, somebody would have been like, whoa, there's a mistake here. Something should have, some other thing should have happened. So we have this cascading of like constantly fucking up and then constantly getting out, wriggling out of it to like everybody's surprise and then just like dusting ourselves off and learning absolutely nothing from it. <laughs> Well, and also, like, you just have to figure, like, all the times that, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, between, you know, you, me, and Joe, like, every single, like, all of us have pulled some dumb form of watch at some point, just, like, watching something that did not need to be watched, that was, like, immobile and too heavy and couldn't fucking move even if it wanted to, or was, like, worthless or pointless or, you know, just, like, whatever, like, for one reason or another, did not need to be watched. And, like, there wasn't a guy. It wasn't like a single guy. You you couldn't find a single fucking airman in like the entirety of like the Dakotas to just like, hey dude, watch this train. Make sure it doesn't fucking s- leave. I had to sit for twelve hours and watch an empty Connex. Yeah. To, like like for no for no apparent reason other than we don't want somebody else to take it. And it's like just lock it. Like no, they'll get like because every soldier also doesn't trust other soldiers. So they're like, if you don't sit here and watch this, somebody will steal it from us. So we need you and like two other guys to sit here and stare at this thing to make sure nobody steals it. And like to be honest though, that that probably was smart because I'm sure that it may it there's there was a very real chance of that getting stolen. Right, the whole I, connex. Yeah, I had to pull armed guard over porter potties <laughs> because people kept drawing dicks in them. And you know what? It was, it was me. If there's anyone from my old unit listening to this podcast, first of all, I hate you. And <laughs> second of all, uh, we pulled armed guard over porter potties because it was me, and I refused to admit it. So you're all welcome. Um, well, the oh best part- God, I love everybody hates you so much, Joe. But like, to be fair, they already hated me. <laughs> after the fact, though, it's funny. Like sometimes, sometimes fucking over your buddies is real funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, the main difference between the Soviet Union and the United States is while most of the United States broken arrows happened because of planes, pretty much all of the Soviet broken arrows that we know of, because Soviet reasons, almost exclusively uh, caused horrible nuclear accidents at sea. 
Uh, this is because while the Soviets did have deterrent systems, it was mostly ground-based, leading to fewer nukes ever being up in the air, like they had the 15 minutes on standby type thing. Yeah, there was also a problem of an armed forces-wide maintenance problem that would routinely ground their entire air force. And even though this, so even the Soviet Union like is pretty well known for their very, very lax idea of safety, they knew that keeping nukes in the air around the clock was kind of a bad idea. Um, so they well, kept I, them in the oceans. I'd imagine too that idea. they were also like, you know, it's it's you know, uh, hunt for October notwithstanding, it's you know pretty difficult to like get an entire nuclear sub to defect. Uh, versus like just having like some random ass like six random assholes in a plane like out over like close to NATO in striking distance and being able to like land at an airport. True. Um, and I really wish these subs defected because that would be <laughs> significantly less destructive as to what happened. Um, and they did have a very large fleet of submarines, seemingly designed by someone who really wanted to make Godzilla become real. Um, on Literally dozens of occasions, various Soviet nuclear subs began leaking radiation or melting down from the 1960s all the way up to the current day Russian Navy with a mysterious, <laughs> with a recent mysterious fire sinking and massive leak of radiation from a Russian sub that they still refuse to explain as to what exactly happened. Uh, um, Joe, Joe, gun to your head, if you had to choose and somebody was like, you have to join either the Soviet Army or the Soviet Navy or the Soviet Air Force. Air Force, 100%. Really? Was their Air Force at least survivable? <laughs> well, I mean, as a shitty enlisted person, there was much less of a reason for me to immediately die from horrible neglect, um, which, <laughs> which, which was, I mean, like if someone uh, like our part seven series on our Soviet Afghan war goes over this really well, but like they had more soldiers just like murdered from hazing accidents during this Afghan war than they had killed by the Mujahideen and nobody kept track of them. Like, nobody gave a shit. So, like, like, your life literally meant nothing. So I'd rather be on the ground crew of something. I'll probably still get sucked in by some horribly designed, like, intake valve or something and get turned to ether. But, like, I don't know. At least a tank will eat my nutsack. (laughs) I don't know, man. I I think I would rather be pink misted through the engine of a MiG than (laughs) anything else that would have, like, that's just quick. You're like, oh, you're done. Not... Not, you know, just being, like, tossed off of a roof because I happen to be the newest guy there. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, exactly. just beat to death and stabbed because you wouldn't run your pockets the minute you got to your barracks at your first <laughs> We call this game, we're going to stab the new guy. How do I play it? <laughs> you don't. You just stand there. Uh, n- now, the reasons for that, uh, for, for most of these design flaws are unknown because Soviet reasons. Um, but a lot of it is from simply bad engineering. Their power plants are rushed out with very little testing and very little training, leading to confused crews who had no idea how to control them from causing meltdowns and fires. Um, more specifically, uh, the fires were an issue with their electrical wiring, uh, which would cause another engineering problem within the Soviet submarines. It was a fire suppression system that would um, automatically pump CO2 into crew compartments if it sends a flash or smoke. Yeah. Now, if anybody's unaware of what happens when the when the oxygen you breathe is 100% replaced by CO2 for literally any amount of time, you die. Um, or at, yeah. the, at the very least, you but get not knocked unconscious. Yeah. You don't yeah. die of fire. You don't burn to death. Hey, maybe that's... I think our MRAP systems had something like that where they're like, no, the fire suppression system in here could, li- could like 
literally blind you if you're not careful or something. So don't smoke inside the MRAPs. Which that everybody was because it was powder anyway. based. Yeah, that was it, it was powder based and could get in your eyes, which I've had happen to me before, and it fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can still see though. It's it's not like the you had the oxygen sucked out of your. Yes. Like when people like a lot of times, uh, if people remember our, our Confederate submarine episode, like the sub would sink, they would resurface it, throw the dead bodies out and then just recrew <laughs> it. That happened a lot. Um, the Soviets, like sometimes it wouldn't kill everyone because not everybody would be in the crew compartment. Like it would be like up and like, uh, like the, I don't know, the captain's area because everything's compartmentalized or where so, like, like the torpedoes are like up front or like an, an yeah. engineering space or like somewhere or another yeah very rarely would it wipe out a whole crew but you'd have like oh half the crew died why oh sergey smoked a cigarette when before he went to bed <laughs> um or I mean, like, that's, like that's why like, that's why the russians all need to vape now <laughs> that was the uh, uh that was the i don't know like um um all of like the small boats that I was on that actually had like inboard engines, like inboard diesels and shit, like the forty sevens, like they had fixed CO twos, and like part of the drill for that, like part of running the drill for that was that you, you know, you had to mi- absolutely make sure that like the hatch was dogged and everything was closed before you hit the like the button, but it definitely wasn't fucking automatic because yeah, that one hundred that one hundred percent would just like kill the shit out of it, like me. Yes. <laughs> uh, most of these bodies were found with like because uh, it's like super uh, fro- it's it's like kept at a very very low temperature before it comes out yeah um, and they would do like autopsies on them which I was actually more shocked that they did autopsies on these guys because it's the <laughs> Soviet Navy uh, and they found like ice crystals forming in their lungs yeah um, which guys if you did not wear uh, it's terminal you're not going to come back from that um, it's it's called having Soviet lung um <laughs> And like uh, the surviving members of these crews would be able to bring them back, uh, and they would just like chuck all the dead bodies out and recrew them. Um, but in most of these cases, like if a sub was lost, which did happen, there was no attempt to recover any part of it. The Soviets simply lo- left their nuclear tip torpedoes and reactors just laying in the ocean for decades, where they still are. Uh, Seems fine. This obviously I mean, well, led to a lot of them becoming horrible sources of radioac- radioactive uh, uh, pollution that continued to be parked on the ocean floor and fucking up the planet long after the death of the Soviet Union. Listen, all I'm saying is, if it was actually a problem, we would have gotten a Godzilla by now. We haven't gotten a Godzilla <laughs> by now, so it's not actually a fucking problem. Like, it's just, it's more liberal lies about, <laughs> like, you know, the effects of, you know, various different things that aren't actually a problem and we don't need to worry about. Yeah, radiation is a, is liberal bullshit. Um, yeah, it came from the earth. It's just going back to the earth. It's yeah. all natural. I actually have a uranium crystal that I sleep with uh, under my pillow every night, and I have <laughs> I have no problems. And every morning, I just I wake up, I look out, and I I smell purple, and that's fine. <laughs> it's really normal for uh, for people in Boston to have Fossey jaw in twenty twenty. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a Kennedy. Like, let's 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 fucking calm that shit down right now. Uh, it, like, for instance, one of them is still uh, crashed off the coast of Norway, and it sank in the late '80s, and it's it's currently putting off radiation one million times the normal level uh, that it should be found in the ocean. Um, well, and, so, and I yeah. will say, what water is a good blocker of radiation, so it's it's not great. But also, like, I'm sure that, like, Norway hasn't gone and dug that up and, like, tried to contain it because it's just like, I mean, it'd be worse if we moved it 
at this that's, point. That's like, kind of what it came down to. Yeah, Norway said, like, it's really bad, but it'd be worse if we took it out of the water. So thankfully, all this is contained in the world's oceans. Good news, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mother Good Nature could take another one for the fucking team, right? Yeah, fine. <laughs> And this is this is why I'm one of the things that makes me sad is I won't be around in like, you know, 20 million years to see like after we're gone, what will evolve from like our from our cast offs and detritus. <laughs> this is not That's a place actually of honor. how the uh, the, <laughs> an, the angels from Evangelion come from is the submarine. Uh, it, it's just like Mother Nature swaying back and forth, like inhaling wildfire smoke and pollution and radiation from Soviet submarines. Like, I didn't hear a fucking bell, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now with that, let's talk about some of America's greatest self-owns. And by that, I mean all of the times we almost killed ourselves. Um, the first one happened pretty much as soon as the, these flights started, uh, 1950. A B-29 crashed in, in New Mexico, which, by the way... A lot of these come down to New Mexico. Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, that, that's actually how your governor was born. Uh, but uh, is this killed the entire crew, because this happens most of the time, uh, and nearly accidentally nuked Albuquerque. But for a nuke to go off, uh, the high explosives trigger a detonator, which then triggers the nuclear reaction, which leads to people's shadows being burnt into concrete for all of time. Um, now, and most of these bombs, there's a series of safeties that are there to ensure there's no accidental detonation. That means like before they purposely go and drop the nuke, the pilot has to arm it. Um, now, this isn't a 100% fail, uh, fail-proof, but it works very, very well. Otherwise, this story would be much, much different. Um, <laughs> so this time what happened is the explosives went off and nearly triggered the device, but the safeties did their job and didn't make Albuquerque look slightly worse than it does now. Um, I've never been to Albuquerque. I'm just throwing shade on everything that isn't Ohio because this didn't happen in Ohio. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, the, the really the only the only shame here is that it didn't happen to Ohio. I mean, I think true. we can all agree that. And if we're honest, Indiana. I mean, we're all thinking it. If there was ever <laughs> going to be a place that you know nuclear bombs should probably fall, probably Indiana. Are we I mean, sure they haven't? I just drop it in one of the Dakotas. It's mostly just wildebeest and whatnot up there, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm really just saying this so that way... Like, it's a red wall up up there, man. <laughs> so Nate can get angry later and say that maybe we shouldn't have nuked him. Uh, Nate will absolutely uh, shit talk on Indiana as well as anybody else. If we, nu- if we nuked Indiana, the only thing that would have changed is Mike Pence would just be Homelander from the boys. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple months later, it happened again in August, uh, triggering the explosives, killing the crew, but not setting off the nuke. Again, New Mexico. Uh, there's a lot of cr- crashes like these. Though every once in a while, the crew and the plane understands that they're crashing before you know they crash, and they jettison their nuclear weapons, which is actually sounds insane, but it's actually much safer because it gets it away from the scene of the crash, and there's parachutes attached to it. Uh, the idea being they'll simply thump safely to the earth, and uh, like it gets rid of the possible threat of the explosion from the aircraft crashing, triggering their explosives, possibly bypassing a safety, creating a chain reaction to where like people start growing weird limbs a thousand years later. So they did this over Canada. The thing is, Canada was not informed beforehand, and the explosives went off. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> thankfully, the bomb was missing its core. 
that would required for a full nuclear reaction, but the bomb was still packed full of 100 pounds of uranium, which, of course, was spread over a huge arc by all of those explosives going off. Uh, which this happens where, literally every time, in case anybody's where, wondering. Where in Canada is this? What part was, of Canada is uninhabitable? It is Quebec, uh, in case anybody was curious why oh, Quebec well, so it's it is. Fine, then. It's yeah. the French. It's fine. Yeah, it's, yeah, when you absorb enough nuclear uh, uh, radiation, you just start speaking French. <laughs> uh, just ima- I'm just imagining like the blob, but it's just like a big piece of like radioactive poutine. <laughs> I'd eat that poutine 10 times out of 10. Uh, yes, I know it would kill me, and it would be delicious. Spoken uh, like a true Red Wings fan right there. That's really yeah. what that is. That's right. Uh, now, this caused the U.S. government to shrug, say, my bad, and then dig up literally tons of contaminated earth. Uh, before it gave people a bunch of really fun cancers, but that doesn't work. Um, this method of nuclear cleanup almost never works. Um, it's actually what's going on in Fukushima for the large part. Is like they're digging up huge amounts of surface soil and then just throwing it in bags and thinking that that's good enough. But the problem is like you spread soil around when you collect it this way, so therefore it's impossible to collect. Uh, but yeah, yeah. As soon as you, as soon as you like put your shovel in and disturb dust it's in the wind now it's like just just like staple like tack down some really good tarp for like uh, ten thousand years and you'll be fine did you uh in your in your research over this did you ever uh come across what happened in uh i think it was the bay area in like san francisco related to like the bikini atoll tests um i didn't cover the bikini atoll test because honestly all of castle bravo deserves its own episode yeah all right that's fair but generally what happened was it was a runaway test. Like they had a much more, uh, they had a much more strong, uh, powerful nuclear reaction than they ever thought possible. So they did not in any way prepare for anything that could happen next. So yikes. Yeah. Well, and uh, then it was an they, accident. They, uh, when they got the, when they got the ships back to like stateside, they, um, wanted to decontaminate them. So they just washed them off. So yes. they just gave them like freshwater washdowns and like, you know, wash down the equipment and the rest of it. Um, on land that I guess was like in the in the Greater Bay Area, and then like essentially just like sat on it for a while and then sold it to the city. And they, I guess they built a uh, like a police headquarters on top of it, and then like all their cars and shit started melting. <laughs> everyone got terrible <laughs> fucking cancer. <laughs> oh, so just like the worst. Like everyone just like got like immediately fucking terribly ill, and like the buildings were basically melting into the fucking asphalt because it turned out like. The entire property was just like, like just radiate, like almost visibly radiating with like just like terrible contamination. Yeah, normally that's only metaphysical. Uh, this is actually what happens when a police department is sponsored by Doctor Manhattan. Um, <laughs> yeah, like if you look at the pictures from uh, Bikini Atoll, you can see like the outlines of the mushroom cloud. You could ships are just sitting there. Like that seems bad. Uh, maybe don't do, like. I'm sure every single one of those sailors has uh, like a dick that looks like a fucking. I don't know the letter Z. <laughs> Just like a glow yeah. stick from a rave. I made <laughs> I made fun of I made fun of a post about like how the Soviets were like we're just gonna drop bombs and send like forty five thousand troops to to uh, to, yes. to do. But like we absolutely did the same things. Like we'd drop bombs and be like, all right, everybody walk walk slowly towards the mushroom cloud. We're gonna see what happens. Like that that like decade between World War Two. Well, I guess not even a decade, but like between World War Two and the Korean War, where like that's that's like the atomic age, and that's like my absolute favorite design time in America. But also, 
like I love the aesthetics of it, but also like they were they were also just like I'm gonna paint my eyelids with uranium. Ah, why are my teeth falling out? <laughs> like it was just the wild west of like the of like America. Like yeah, we th- we're we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. We're just like you know I can't believe the lies that our government would would tell us. But like back then, they're just like, hey, we just like flattened two cities with the power of this like metal that we dug up. Let's make glassware out of it because it glows in the dark. Could you imagine if we had this kind of like the the nuclear um, uh, market uh, now, the way things work? There would be like so there would be a group of people like, guys, maybe we shouldn't be uh, uh, wearing plutonium-based condoms. These are bad for you. And then someone would be like, uh, LOL, shut the fuck up, Lib, as they like butt chug <laughs> plutonium to own the libs. Oh, oh, I'm so sad we missed that, if I'm honest. I would Just love to see like... Just melting through their lower intestines like, yes, yes, We almost perfect. had it. We, almost, we had them taking like fish medicine and drinking bleach. <laughs> like, that's the thing. I'm Injecting you know, bleach, sir. I'll have you do. <laughs> right. It's just like, look, let's just, let, let's just, you know... Please do go ahead. I'm I'm interested. I would love to see you be correct about injecting Lysol into your veins. I don't think you will be, but <laughs> you know where has America been greatest? But for those who go forth to uh, to to make sure the pathway is clear for the rest of you're not list. Oh, you're dead now. Okay, cool. Well, now we know. Thank you. Thank you for your like, service. Just you like- truly don't respect American freedoms unless. You sound yourself with a plutonium rod. Oh, <laughs> uh, just like Jordan Peterson, just like licking fucking radioactive watch dials as part of his new diet that his like daughter got him to do. <laughs> just like gradually, just like rotting his fucking jaw into like uh, no, the, ra- the radiation. The radiation melts away the pounds, literally. Uh, <laughs> not boofing radioactive material is cultural Marxism. Uh, and but so. So back in March of 1956, uh, that's the only Jordan Peterson uh, uh, impression I'm ever doing on the show, and I hate myself for it. Uh, uh, back in March of 1956, shit got really bad, and this falls into the thing that Francis was talking about, like, what if a nuke just goes off and nobody has any idea where it's from? So a B-47 carrying two nuclear cores and at least one fully functional bomb, nobody will really tell us, from Florida to Morocco, just kind of disappeared. And most people assume it crashed into the ocean because, I say assume, because literally no trace of this fucking thing has ever been found. Um, uh, that includes the all of the nuclear material on board. The U.S. government refuses to say what exactly the plane was carrying, uh, more about the bomb, but it was probably a Mark 15, which has a yield of 3.4 megatons, and it was never heard from again. Um, now, this one is almost certainly leaking horrible amounts of radiation after decades of being exposed to salt water and the pressures of the deep ocean, where it probably still remains today. I have to say probably, because who fucking knows, because the government <laughs> lost a nuke. The, the even more wild thing about this is like that's essentially just like the plot of the James Bond movie Thunderball, which was like <laughs> released like ten years later. Which is just like amazing that it was like oh there are probably horrible nuclear accidents where we're just like losing planes with nuclear weapons out there. I don't know. Why don't we make a fucking Hollywood movie out of it with a like a Scottish dude? It'll be fine. Yeah, Hollywood always wants to make these movies like oh what if like the worst happened and uh. And then the government's just like, yeah, yeah. Do you want our notes for your writing? Yeah, like, yeah oh. we do this literally all the time. Oh, yeah, man, we, yeah we, imagine. Anyway, uh, don't go looking around uh, anywhere between here and Morocco. Yeah. 
No, it's fine. So, we, we we absolutely did that. It's cool. Uh, you know, do you need some technical advisors? Uh, you know, as long as you show our planes like looking really uh, like shiny and new, like we will definitely give you some technical advisors. <laughs> now, a couple months later, a pilot in training accidentally nearly nuked Suffolk, England. Um, kind of. The, the crew uh, was undergoing training and crashed directly into the nuclear storage facility in Lake and, uh, Lake and Heath Airfield. Uh, the, the storage facility is known as the Igloo. Uh, the crash sheared off the detonators and safeties of six different bombs. The only thing that stopped everything from getting really, really bad was the fact that the cores weren't installed. The only thing that happened is that nuclear uh, or radioactive material was spread over a long distance, and that's actually where turfs come from. Um, uh, but like someone involved, uh, called the entire thing a miracle. Cause like one of the bombs is, uh, due to be like, uh, fully armed and set on its way. But like the way this guy crashed, which they all died because they always do. Cause it's a plane crash. Um, uh, he managed to shear off every safety thing before crashing into it. <laughs> I love Amazing. I love some dude being like, man, that's a real miracle. It's like mm, I've got a different definition of what a miracle would have been, <laughs> which is that guy would have landed and we all stopped making nuclear bombs. Yeah, it's a miracle as everything behind you is on fire and people are running around as their skin melts off and their bone marrow dies. <laughs> Uh, then there was a time in 1957 where a bomb just fell through the bomb doors of a plane flying over Albuquerque, New Mexico again. Um, thankfully, I like that there, there's maybe just like this one like Air Force technical like or like you know like master sergeant or whatever the fuck they got like who just like really like I don't know like has like his like you know ex wife or like his dad he doesn't like or something who just like just like lives in Albuquerque and just hates the shit out of New Mexico and he just conducted a- this like long lasting like decades long plot to like try to just nuke the shit out of New Mexico because of his own petty grudges. But they're it, it, all it, it, like these wily coyote ass fucking yeah. ideas. <laughs> it's all like, like the, some like Mr. Bean shit. Like he just like can't quite <laughs> shoot straight. It's actually yeah. an old school like Santa and Santa Ana New uh, Mexican Mexican Empire nationalist. Like it, it will be ours again. <laughs> just trying to reclaim <laughs> Atlazan. Like just like fucking getting after it. Uh, thankfully, this didn't hit anything. It landed. Well, it kind of landed on nothing. It landed in an empty farm, and the explosives went off, but the nuke did not. Unfortunately, this ended up with the death of a cow, which is the only domestic American fatal victim of a nuclear bomb. Notice how I said <laughs> fatal. Notice and how domestic. I said fatal. Yeah, and very much domestic. Uh, we will actually drop nukes and several more citizens before this episode's over. <laughs> Um, on, in June of 57, they lost two more nukes, this time over the Pacific Ocean. They have never been located either. Um, though this, in 1958, they did the same thing again, though this time off the coast of Georgia, Georgia they have not been found. In March of 11th, uh, March 11th, 1958, this is the one that everybody is probably uh, aware of, a U.S. Air Force Boeing B-47E LM Stratojet took off from Savannah, Georgia and was scheduled to fly to the U.K., the aircraft was carrying nuclear weapons in case of the war with the Soviet Union, and they were both armed. Captain Earl Kohler noticed a fault light in the cockpit, independent the, uh, indicating the bomb's harness locking pin had not been engaged. So he sent the other captain, Bruce Kolka, to the bomb bay door to fix the problem. As Kolka reached around the bomb to pull himself up, he mistakenly grabbed the emergency release pin. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
this is like that uh, that far side comic where the guy is in the airplane and his hand accidentally hits the wings stay on and the wings fall off button. <laughs> yeah, like don't hoist yourself up by the nuke release pin. Also, can you imagine okay, what that so guy's the- face looked like like the moment that happened? Like you just like grab onto it and you just watch the bomb just fall through the bay doors. Bro, you just gotta jump in after it because like <laughs> at, the, at that point you're already fucked. Uh, and at that point, that, that was the only pin holding in place. The Mark Six bomb dropped out of the Bombay doors. The bomb weights forced the doors open, and the bomb dropped fifteen thousand feet to the ground. Uh, two two sisters, a six year old named Helen and a nine year old named Frances Gregg. It's an unfortunate name for a little girl. <laughs> I should laugh at that uh, because she gets nuked. Um, along with their nut. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, along with their nine-year-old cousin ella davies we're playing uh 200 yards or 180 meters uh from a playhouse that their father had built for them the bombs landed directly on top of the playhouse (laughs) (laughs) like this what are the fucking odds kolka had like those were kolka's kids that he had lost custody of or some shit the high explosives detonated and created craters 70 feet wide and 35 feet deep. Unfortunately, or, or fortunately, uh, the, the fissile nuclear core had been stored elsewhere on the plane. All three children were hurt, as was their father, mother, and brother. The family sued the Air Force and received $54,000. <laughs> Today, the crater is still visible. Imagine being accidentally nuked by the United States military and given enough money for, like, I don't know, like a a slightly upgraded Escalade. They're just helping rebuild the playhouse that got nuked. (laughs) To us, the only thing that's broken is a playhouse. So we'll give you you a little money for that. You can rebuild it, all right? We'll be fine. Just the captain, like, leans down, like, at the very end after they've settled the whole thing and just whispers in a little girl's ear, like, no, fuck your playhouse in particular. <laughs> Kolka's, like, looking out the windows, like, tonight, you. <laughs> uh, so, again, in 1958, a nuke was accidentally dropped on Mars Bluff, South Carolina, and the, the explosives detonated and injured six more people. Uh, I could not find if they got any money. I assume this time they could afford maybe a Corolla. Um, this begins something of a military grudge against the Carolinas in general, uh, because the nearest uh, a, a U.S. target has ever come to actually being nuked and causing, you know, like a city would occur in Goldsboro, North Carolina, in 1961. A B-52 carrying two nuclear bombs suffered a sudden structural failure. And by that mean, its right wing just fell off. <laughs> <laughs> they found that. So instead of pulling the uh, nukes fallout uh, lever, he pulled the wings fall off lever. They should really stop putting those levers inside of those airplanes. <laughs> it just, it's, it's Russian roulette, but does the, the plane fall apart or do we accidentally bomb someone? Um, this time you get both. Uh, I love being the, the the American champion of military engineering. Uh, the plane broke apart in midair, leading to the two nuclear weapons to be released, hopefully to save them, uh, because you know they could deploy their parachutes, and that's fine. One, this actually worked relatively well for one of them. 
One bomb was found entirely undamaged above ground and stuck in a tree because its parachute got stuck there. Um, the other bomb's parachute failed and smacked into the uh, into a muddy field outside the city, going 700 miles per hour. The bomb was blown apart on impact. Uh, but then something that never happened before went down, uh, and it was discovered by a very, very unfortunate bomb recovery team. They found the second bomb and found something horrifying. Three of the four bombs arming mechanisms, those being the safeties that stop the bomb from actually going off, were tripped. And so was the fourth. The only thing that stopped it from fully triggering was an electrical failure. (laughs) (laughs) So like the fourth safety was still in place, but like it was tripped. The only thing that stopped it from coming off completely was like the bomb failed. Once again, you just like imagine being the team that like comes along that shit and you just like like find all four of them just at like tripped. You're like, um do I run? Do I cover my ass? Like just like Fun what fact, the fuck do you even do with that? We point? actually have those uh, exact accounts of those men who found the bomb. Oh Jesus Christ. All Lieutenant right. Jack Ravel was the bomb disposal expert who was responsible for disarming a nuclear bomb, which, by the way, how the fuck do you get that job, uh, spoke uh, about the discovery of that second bomb. When the second bomb switch was found, Ravel recalled, until my death, I'll never forget hearing a sar- uh, my sergeant say, Lieutenant, we found the, uh, the arm safe switch. And, I sa- and then I answered back, great. And he answered back, not great. It's unarmed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in case if anybody was wondering of how strong that bomb would have been, it was 250 times the, the destructive power of the one that was dropped in Hiroshima. Gold, Goldsboro would have been eliminated. It would have destroyed everything within an eight-mile radius and almost certainly killed millions of people. Cool! Science! Um, now, I literally can't go over all the times a nuclear-armed plane crashed and shot radiation everywhere uh, because, again, that happened tens of times. Um, nearly once a year during the 60s, uh, but uh, because that takes several hours to do. Though before I need to move on, I do need to point out an accident that occurred in 1959 off the coast of Whitby Island in Washington State, mostly because I just left there and I thought this is kind of hilarious. And a uh, Navy aircraft crashed into the Puget Sound and it was carrying a nuclear depth charge, which was never found. Um, it, the Navy badly pollued the Puget Sound uh, and that is just nothing new. They continue to do that to this day. Uh, but nobody ever found the nuclear death charge. And I had never heard of a nuclear death charge before, so I looked into it. Everybody had these things. The Soviets, the U.S., and the U.K. all carried this Acme-ass weapon all at once, uh, or at one time or another, and remained in use specifically by the U.K. until 1998. Mm. Uh, and they had a yield of 250 kilotons. <laughs> Uh, the UK's version had 190 kilotons. Uh, for comparison's sake, the uh, Fat Man, the bomb we, 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 we dropped on Nagasaki in 1945 was 20. 20 kilotons. Were, were, and so, like, am I assuming, are, were these only put on planes? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Because I just, um, like, and I only say this because I also just watched, uh, was it, um, fuck, Greyhound? Like, the, uh, the, the Tom Hanks movie that just came out about, like, the convoy. And I can just only imagine, like, if it's, like, you know, hundreds of kilotons, like, powerful, like, if you're in a ship and you toss that off the back, like, you're just going to blow the shit out of yourself. 
Yeah, you, you become a Shahid so you can own that sub that you might may or may not have destroyed. You're one like you're just gonna like evaporate like all the fucking water around you. So like, you know, your ship's gonna fall, like get blown up, but then also fall like fucking like a hundred feet like down into the ocean as like you just create a crater around you. This is how the Pacific Rim movie got started, I swear to God. <laughs> Uh, and probably the most well-known broken arrow outside of North Carolina and maybe Greenland, which we'll talk about, happened near Palomara, Spain during the era of Francisco Franco. Um, a pilot had been flying for entirely too long, crashed into the refueling plane, and set four different bombs flying in four different directions. Three impacted on land, spreading radiation over a two-kilometer area, while another landed in the sea, not to be found for two months. Uh, over 1,400 uh, tons of soil had to be removed and sent to a nuclear storage facility. And uh, it, guess where it went to go be stored and then leak everywhere? South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because of fuck the Carolinas in general. <laughs> uh, I should point out, like, again, that this cleaning tactic definitely doesn't work. And the U.S. fucked it up really bad at this time and knew and lied about it. And this was only discovered in 2006 when the Spanish Energy Research Agency carried out a study. The study found the U.S. actually dumped a fair amount of radioactive soil in, in a nearby cemetery for veterans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're going to build a zombie movie off of that immediately, like right now, like zombie soldiers from hell. But you have to like respect them, too, because they're, they're heroes. Yeah, I, I just hope it was like a fascist's veteran cemetery, in which case, good, desecrate their bodies. Um, yeah, like it, it also like and now afterwards they picked up like they use it as a storage area in lieu of transporting it to the United States, South Carolina. But the U.S. didn't think that like storing it there would spread contamination to the cemetery, which it did, because of course it did. It's radioactive. Uh, and if you already kind of figure that congratulations you have a better understanding of nuclear materials and the people who are handling these things in 1966 <laughs> um according to time magazine in 2009 uh the area is still heavily contaminated and people have a, a very much a very higher or a very high rate of cancer and it was called one of the world's worst nuclear accidents that nobody seems to give a shit about uh because of america reasons uh, but also, Francisco Franco uses this as an excuse to ban all NATO flights over Spanish airspace um, because, like, they just drop nukes on them. So, like, we, you know, piss off our allies. I get, I get it. Sure. Yeah, I get absolutely. It. <laughs> also, also we... small side note here. Do you remember that Cuba Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr. movie, Men of Honor, forever ago, where he plays a Navy diver? Yeah. Well, that's based on a, a, a true story of the life of Carl Brashear, who uh, lost his leg and uh, stayed as a Navy diver. Well, he lost his leg in the recovery operation to find the nuke that fell into water outside of Spain. Um, Fuck. How so did he lose his leg? Uh, it's like a diving accident, I think. Uh, okay. Something that like crushed him. Uh, though, it. Uh, no, no, it didn't brush against it. And it was just like, oh, shit, I found it. It melted my leg off. Kaiju, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and it was, a, it was a Spanish kaiju in the 60s, so it was fascist as hell. Um, Black-shirted kaiju. <laughs> uh, though, uh, even though that clusterfuck didn't cancel the around-the-clock operations, one finally would two years later. 1968, a B-52 named Hobo 28, because they could <laughs> sure, yeah. took off uh, on January 21st for a 24-hour-long operation. The crew was experienced, but they did have one slight fuck-up. Sitting for 24 hours kind of sucks. 
Uh, so they brought along some extra seat cushions. Nothing major, right? But they placed them to it. They placed them too close to the plane's heater, which caused them to catch on fire and fill the uh, fill the cabin with smoke, forcing the crew to bail out. And they went down near Thule, Greenland. Uh, six of the seven crews survived because one man had to die for a comfortable ass. Um, the bomb slammed into the ice and broke apart, spraying radiation everywhere. Uh, unfortunately, there, uh, like in Canada, Greenland was uh, was not aware of the situation. But more specifically, either was Denmark, and Denmark controlled Greenland. And Greenland had a strict no nuclear uh, weapon policy over and in its territory, and has had one since 1957. Uh, and Whoops. they had not been told, uh, but now the U.S. couldn't keep it quiet because the you know the wild amounts of radiation coming from the crash site. Um, the four bombs on board held around 13 pounds of plutonium apiece, and half of it spilled out into the air. Ugh. The the U.S. trying to save itself from you know Denmark hating it. Spoiler alert: they failed, and everyone in Europe and the most of the world hates us anyway because of stuff like this and you know the wars. Uh, but the U.S. agreed to dig out, dig out all the contaminated ice and snow. Conditions are perilous, and temperatures average uh, below minus 25 degrees, and even slight winds plunged the wind chill down to minus 50. The sun did not rise over the crash area until February, and that caused its own problem, snow glare. So that gave several people snow blindness, which meant <laughs> nobody did a very good job. Uh, but they worked for four months and eventually got around 237,000 cubic feet of radioactive snow, ice, and water, not to mention the crash debris, debris uh, that had to be loaded and stored in sites back in the United States, which, South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, so that, uh, that the secret was up, and that was the, the last air operation. Operation in Chrome Dome, which was like the last iteration of these, was actually ended on January 22nd, the day after Hobo 28 went down, because they knew, like, you know, we really fucked up this time. Uh, though, if you're, uh, you know, like, Danish and you're listening to this, uh, the fallout was not entirely done, actually. Um, in the 1990s, information came out that the Danish prime minister had kind of ignored his country's own nuclear policy, and they had allowed the U.S. to store nuclear weapons at the Thule Air Base, as well uh, as uh, Danish airspace about over Greenland, not Denmark, in order to transport them because of racism. Uh, <laughs> uh, Whose racism? Ours uh, or theirs? Everybody's. Denmark's. Yeah, okay. De- because they could keep it over, like, because, like, Greenland has a native population or, like, you know. Oh, okay. Not, yeah. Uh, uh, and they could just, you know, nuke them, not us, I guess. Um, so H.C. Hansen, the prime minister of the time, agreed with the U.S. ambassador to allow storage of a, quote, supply of munitions of a special kind. And since he was not explicitly told they were nukes, how did he know? Therefore, the agreement was still good. There was no nukes because he didn't know there were any. There's only special munitions. Dude must have been a lawyer. Probably. Um, after this, the politicians, just as bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they can fight to the death in the, in the pits of radioactive hell. <laughs> but you um, repeat yourself. <laughs> after the Thule air, uh, after Thule, the air operations were done. Operation Crowdome, the last iteration of them, was ended, uh, and it ended the day after it went down. Like we said, um, now with the air alert that like the fifteen minute turnaround on the ground continued, like it had started on the ground, meaning that all of this was completely pointless. And who knows how many hundreds or thousands of years of radio- radioactive pl- pollution had been injected into the planet via plane crash, just so the U.S. 
and the Soviet Union could have a doomsday dick measuring competition competition using world ending weapons. And uh, that's the broken arrows, y'all. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we have cartoonishly managed to like keep stepping like it's like we keep stepping on rakes but also we keep moving our head to the side so the rake just hits you in the shoulder and you're just like and, and you never like it could have been worse and, and at, no, at no point in time like since it doesn't hit us directly in the face we're never learning we're never just like oh shit maybe i shouldn't have done that like you know not not to say anything negative about the good people of albuquerque but perhaps nuclear weapons would be uh, a little bit more downplayed if we had just accidentally wiped y'all off the map, I'm not. I'm not saying that this is better or not. Only time can tell. Uh, Go full you know. patata, pulsadas on us. It's All good. I'm saying is, whom's can say which would be a better, uh, better thing over the long term? You know, exactly. You know, like we're still, we're still finding out, and so we'll never know. Albuquerque, maybe you should have made the ultimate sacrifice. So, <laughs> shocks, Francis. We do a little thing on this show called Questions from the Legion, and this is the first time there's ever been. A, actually, this isn't the first time it's ever been a three-way question from Legion, but I'm going to say it is anyway because I'm revising my own history. Um, you got an so, executive order for that? Yeah, sure. Uh, and if not, I'll drop another nuke on the Carolinas. Um, now, <laughs> uh, if you would like to ask a question from Legion, you can donate a dollar, ask it on the Discord, slide into my DMs or email, or attach it to a pigeon and send it to Hawaii. Now... Um, this question comes from the Discord. It says, what is your favorite stupid military project of all time? Uh, and I think mine goes without saying that it's definitely remote viewers. Are you guys familiar with those? Yeah, that's back when we were trying to figure out oculate shit. Yeah, we, we tried to make psychers from Warhammer 40k reality, pretty much. <laughs> uh, they, they would like sit in isolation and attempt to just picture things from the Soviet Union. And they were wrong, like literally every time. <laughs> Uh, but like it, it, the main reason why it's really, really funny is that it went on for like decades and we, we dumped millions of dollars into it. And the main reason why we did it is because we thought the Soviets had psychics, which like, oh, right. well, of, of course they fucking didn't. Uh, but the, the reason why that we thought they had psychic is because the Soviets simply said they had psychics. So, cause they knew that we would do something stupid, um, like attempt to make psychics. And that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> uh i gotta say mine is probably mk ultra um, that, one, that one's good just just because of the sheer insanity of like military like medical anything where they're just like i don't know we're just gonna like pump you full of lsd and and fucking slap you around and see what happens maybe that'll make you a better soldier and like it kind of does maybe but also it doesn't like mk ultra is such a weird nebulous thing like brain thing that they've done and uh i i don't know like i there's i i should go further into like my own research but that just feels like a conspiracy hole that i don't want to get caught in um it's like a conspiracy gene seed right there i will i will also give an honorable mention to the davy crockett um which is one of oh, my favorite fuck yeah my favorite like weapon ever created by the military where it's just like what if we put a tiny nuke that like looks literally like a nuke in a cartoon where it's that little fat little bomb with the bomb tails on it. It's like, what if we put that on a recoilless rifle and uh, just shot that? What what would happen? And it turns out it's, it's literally good. a Fallout weapon. Yeah, it's right. called in Fallout. They have that in there. Uh, and yeah, it's like you know. Thankfully, this episode has come full circle, and we're right back at Ted Kaczynski again because he was an MK Ultra. Wait, really? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he when he was at MIT, he was uh, uh, taken in by and like. Uh, 
like a mentor or whatever that worked for the CIA. It's like, that's not conspiracy theory. That's actually documented fact. Yeah, Oswald <laughs> was too, wasn't he? No, uh, that I, th- I believe is more part of like the, he was conditioned by the CIA to shoot Kennedy type conspiracy theory. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, wasn't there was something... There's something that that he was he I mean he was in the military and he was part of like yeah he's a marine fucked up stuff so yeah well and also like as you see like during this period it was just like I don't know well uh well you know just make him walk into a nuclear explosion or dose him with a bunch of acid and just like you know whatever yeah like the uh, the experiments at the proving grounds where they just literally dose people with thousands of times the normal amount of acid and just, just to look what happened like what what if this but you made them like pocket a whole bunch of acid. Like it's it's that it's that fucking bit from Half Baked. Like, have you ever done this on weed? <laughs> like, but 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 for real and acid. <laughs> have you ever done uh, apartheid on acid? That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, so like Joran Vanderkloop or like Pretoria is like, yes, actually, I did. I care. Um, what's your favorite military? Ah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, in thinking, in keeping with this episode, my first response is definitely going to be, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Greenland where we developed and prototyped a series of like relatively portable nuclear reactors because we were trying to um, spearhead like being able to like set up like, you know, Arctic Circle nuclear like um, military bases like up above the Arctic Circle. And so similarly, we created these nuclear reactors that were supposed to be transportable and tested them. And then they didn't quite work like we were supposed to. And I'm also pretty sure that they ended up just getting buried underneath the ice and snow up in Greenland when we were done with them, because we didn't actually transport them back home. And so as a result, I last I remember, and I can't remember if it was Martin who talked about this. I, I feel like I remember someone talking about this, but it was essentially that now because of climate change, this, like massive amount of nuclear radiation is now going to be like also like released in the atmosphere after like, you know, <laughs> fucking 80 years of being buried under the snow. Ah, um, those are the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> 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 but also, you know, but it, I think my, my, uh, my, my honorable shout out will be uh, Operation Gladio. Just oh, that because, one, especially the Italian version is fucking bug shit insane. Yeah, just because like, you know, like the, you know, the Nazi rat lines weren't enough after World War II, but like, you know, NATO and the United States had to develop an entire like, you know, leave behind operation where they consci- like consciously undermined left wing parties over the course of Western Europe and also just and propped up like, you know, right wing governments in their place and then just buried like arm catches and had like just like insane like right wing contacts just like running around with like you know, NATO payloads and like, you know, being able to like target, you know, uh, soft infrastructure targets throughout the course of Western Europe and accidentally developed, you know, the years of steel in Italy like that in and of itself is just like such a fucking like, I don't know. It's amazing. And like we're truly doing anything if we didn't drop a right wing death squad in your neighborhood. Like were we truly ever there if if there's not a right wing death squad nearby? When I remember reading, like, uh, I don't know, maybe last year, the year before, about how there was also a whole, like, special forces outfit around the Fulda Gap and elsewhere in Germany that was essentially, like, even and beyond, like, Gladio was there to, you know, conduct, like, you know, fucking uh, 
you know, like Wolverine style shit, like in like, you know, attaching like sticky bombs to Russian Soviet tanks and blowing up dams and whatever. Like the fact that, and you know, and, and you know, and even Gladio, like that was really never discovered until the Swiss government found out about it, you know, in like the fucking, like in like 92 or something. I was like really it, hoping that you were meaning like Wolverine from the X-Men because that would be fucking sweet. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Finally that. giving Canada weapons of mass destruction, but its name is Logan. <laughs> he's already Canadian, so. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's why he's the only good X-Men. Uh, but y'all, thank you for coming on the show. I know this was like completely unplanned, uh, but I thought it would be good to have everybody on be completely fucking ridiculous because we just did four weeks uh, in a Russo-Japanese war series. So it's always good to have these more relaxed, absolutely unhinged episodes because like (laughs) I need them for my mental health. Um, So thank you for joining me. If you have anything to plug, this is what we call the plug zone. Uh, I have that other military podcast that you've heard of, uh, Hell of a what? Way to Die. What's it you called? listen to it, I guess. Uh, hell of a... Hell of a Way to Die. Hmm. Weird. And I'm going to get... I'm, and, and Carrie will soon have a podcast, a law dog podcast, uh, with Alan Dershowitz and the ghost of Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> and, uh, and the hell dude somehow. Uh, and we're all going to... Uh, we're, we're all going to get together and we're going to... Yeah, we're going to... We're going to go um, kind of Animaniac style. We're going to go through the age of consent laws in uh, every, <laughs> every, different, uh, every different country throughout the world until we end up on St. James Island. So, you know, Jesus um, Christ. look out for that. Uh, it's going to be good. Um, you know, we're all going to get massages from uh, women who are very old while our wives are there. Uh, so that way it's, uh, it's very, not it's very all normally. Yeah, and, very, we're all going to fly there and have very normal times. And then we're going to have a uh, we're going to have a season finale episode in a holding cell in the Southern District of New York, and it's going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> we're all going to walk away, and it's going to be good. Uh, thank you for turning this into the uh, uh, the weird fucking pedo uh, gate podcast there for like five <laughs> seconds. I forget <laughs> I forget what it's called. Uh, my third eye is open, and until next time. Everyone, uh, I don't know, don't nuke the Carolinas. Just just don't do it. (laughs) Later.